Welcome to The Hockey Show, presented by Coors Light. Break away for nonstop chill. The Hockey Show. On Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Feeling the urge to check someone into the boards? Let's do that hockey. Here's your host, Brian Hanley and Pat Boyle. stretch we come it is the hockey show on espn 1000 presented by coors light break away from the non-stop chill with brian hanley i am pat boyle coming to you from the first midwest bank studios you can follow the show on twitter at espn hockey show give us a call 312-332-3776 and for those of you watching via twitch what's up twitchers you can check out the show twitch.tv Slash ESPN 1000 Chicago. How many mint juleps are you in already, Brian? I see what you did there. I yeah, see what the yeah. down the stretch there you come. Yes. They come, we come. Everybody. Uh, I'm not a mint julep guy. No. And, uh, no. Who is? Really? I, I, well, I tell you what, a few years ago, fortunate enough, Edzo and I had Who's Your Drama running on Kentucky Oaks Day. Not, not the Oaks itself. Okay. We were the last race on the card, right? Right. And so Edzo was there for NBC doing the, the broadcast. And I flew down longest day of my life because everybody else, there was 130,000 people. They all like mint juleps. <laughs> I hadn't so much as had a beer. And I'm sitting there in my little suit, waiting, sweating, waiting, waiting. And um, I've never seen so many drunk people with big hats and bad suits and, you know, shiny shoes in my life than that group down there. And and the, the worst thing was Javier Castellano was our jockey that day. Okay. And um, so he wins the Kentucky Oaks, which is the race before ours, or the last race on the card. He'd won a lot of big races. He'd never won the Oaks. So there's Javier Castellano pulling lilies out of the blanket on the horse and throwing it to the crowd, all the drunk Minchula people, He's out there for like 30 minutes, just, uh, you know, radiating in the adulation. He comes back, finally gets back to the paddock. And I turned to Edzo and I said, that's either the best thing that happened to us or the worst thing, because either he's zoned in or, or dialed in or he just checked out. He had checked out. Okay. He lost He lost the whip at the top of the stretch. He ah. went to hit the horse. He gave it that signature twirl of his and up it went and down it went. And on the turf, and never, so then it was a hand ride all the way down the stretch. <laughs> we had no shot. Well, I don't know if uh, the Hawks have lost their whip, but it, here oh, it is, boy. May 1st. Stumbling. It's Derby Day. I, I, you know, I remember so many Blackhawks games over the Cup era that were played around Triple Crown races. And it's fitting that Joel Quenville's in town, because sure, like yourself and like Edzo, big horse guy. And I remember a couple of times where he would come off the bench and get right to the coach's office to to watch <laughs> uh, said triple crown race that was going on. I'm not saying he was distracted. I'm just kind of no. saying he was a little yeah. distracted. Yeah. So the Hawks have six games to go. Uh, they are six points back of the four seed Nashville, four points back of the five seed Dallas. So mathematically... They're alive. Realistically, they Flat lost liners. their whip, right? They, right. they need yeah, to they win. Yeah. They need to win their last six games and hope Nashville gets only five points in their last five and Dallas gets like seven points in their final six games. So the reality is playoffs 
don't look promising. But here's my question to you, and it's our Twitter poll question this morning. Assuming the Hawks fall short of the postseason, this season was success, encouraging, a tease, or a disappointment? Again, Twitter poll question at ESPN Hockey Show. Where would you lean on that question? What was the season to you, assuming they don't make the playoffs? Mostly encouraging, and because I really had little expectation of success uh, going into the season because I didn't know if they had a goaltender. I didn't know you know how they were going to get through without Jonathan Taves. I didn't think Kirby Doc was coming back. Not that he was has been a big part of the action since being back, but you know, give him all the credit for for trying to get back in there and getting back in there. But there have been some nice little storylines that we've talked about over the weeks. There have also been some concerns, and I, I would also throw out there for Hawks fans who want to join the show, 312-332-3776. Who's kind of on your watch list? Guys you thought were keepers for sure going into the season, rebuild or not? I mean, is Dylan Strom on that list? Is it? Is it? He's just snake bit? Is it hard luck? I mean, he's getting his shots. He's getting his chances. He's not getting his points. Bulk, uh, Adam Bolkwist, we talked about time and again. Now he's out with injury, but... Did he cement himself into this core group moving forward? Do you still have question marks about about him? How, how many players did you think you thought you knew about and now you're wondering a little bit about? All valid questions. 312-332-3776. couple of people chiming in on Twitter. Rich Johnson says he would go successful and encouraging. Start of the season, I don't think playoffs were even on the table. It was more of a let's build the youngsters up this kind of this year kind of feeling. So it was encouraging to see just how competitive they were. I would say they succeeded without the youngsters. Logan chimes in and says the Blackhawks weren't supposed to make the playoffs this season. They weren't even supposed to be as competitive as they were. The goal was to develop young players, and they did that. It was a successful season, and I'll die on that hill. And I'll die on that hill. All right. Um, I tend So, look, well, it, it has been a bit of a tease, but let's just say that. I think midway through, they had a, a 10-point lead on Nashville uh, somewhere in mid-March. And uh, but I would I would say it, it's been encouraging. I'd say it's been very encouraging. DeBrinket showed us that last year was an outlier. That uh, he he's a legit star in this league. We're going to get into it with Patrick Sharp at the bottom of the hour. I, I want you know Patrick has seen Alex when he entered the the uh, league and has watched basically every one of his games since. And I, I want Patrick to tell us where he thinks. DeBrinket fits in the hierarchy of the NHL. He's not elite. He's not Kane, but I think he's in that next tier. I think he's in that star tier. So we'll get uh, Sharpie's thoughts on that coming up in just a bit. Rookies, you talked about guys that have impressed and that are maybe building blocks for the future. Lankanen is in that group for me, although there's been some bumps recently. Sure. Hagel's in that group for me. Pew Suter, Kurashev. And the kid out of Wisconsin, Wyatt Kalnuck, has been, I think he's been the, the surprise in the back end over the last few weeks. Kane has shown no signs of slowing down, playing with mostly rookie centers all year, put up MVP numbers most of the season. The goals have not been there recently, but the assists continue to pile up no matter who he plays with. 
power play showed most of the season that it could be a difference maker. It was a top tenner all season long. Dealt with some injuries, struggled with entries. Uh, but that's something they need to be more consistent at. If if they want to be in the top tier of their real central division, they need to have a top 10 power play, and they need to have a top 15 penalty kill. And then players that are young and made progress, I would say Subban, Kubalik, Connor Murphy, a real good year on the back end for Connor. And then I'm, I'm intrigued by Vinny Hinnestrosa's return. Like, there's oh, a guy, when, when they acquired him, and if, if I would have, the poll question that morning is, what do you expect out of Vinny Hinnestrosa and his second go around in Chicago? We would have got the jokes about, oh, no, you know, every Blackhawk that comes back for their second tour, nothing happens. My cousin Vinny could my, do better. My than cousin that. Vinny, you know, uh, you, you would have, it, it just, He's got 10 points in 10 games. He had zero points in nine games with Florida. I I think he has so far earned himself a contract extension. We saw Adam Gaudet get his first goal as a Blackhawk the other night. Ian Mitchell, haven't seen much of him lately. He has not been in the lineup. I liked what I saw early in the season. I, I, I wonder if he is like a lot of these guys. I mean, Brian, on any given night... It's eight rookies out there. That's a lot. Of, oh, it's huge. Uh, for, for, first of all, just for these players to get used to the National Hockey League and then to get used to it together, it's a lot to ask in a condensed schedule. Um, and I do think this team hit a bit of a wall. I think some of their rookies uh, over the last month and a half did struggle to get through it and were not used to the workload and fighting through things like you have to do in the NHL. And I think that's a learning curve that, that some of these guys were able to bust through and learn. And hopefully that will apply in their second and third years in the league. So all that said, and, and all great points after the Nashville series ended. And so basically did the playoff uh, possibilities. We wanted to see, how they finished up the season and what kind of effort they gave, what kind of determination, competitiveness, all the things Jeremy Carlton sold successfully early on in the season and whether it's rookie walls or not, for the most part, are you still, I mean, even the other night, the the game the other night where they, they lose in overtime, it's just, it's pretty much the game we've seen maybe 80% of the season, really good in stretches, possessing the puck, and should probably have more goals to show for it in, in large stretches of the game. Coming back and scoring with 17 seconds and change to, to get a shot in overtime and not being being able to finish the job. Would you say that the, the, the competitiveness, the grit, the, all the intangibles are still there? Or is that slid a little bit? It, the... the uh... The work ethic and the uh, the fight has been more inconsistent in the last week and a half, uh, last month and a half. I think the work ethic was really strong the first half of the season, and I do think, and we'll get into this in our next segment. Fatigue was a factor, and Jeremy Colleton talked specifically about this this past week. He dialed back practices. This team, I was telling you at the start of the year, they were playing. Every other night, and they were practicing basically on the off days. They would get one day off a week. It got different in the middle of March towards the first part of April 
because he sensed this team was tired. And so he backed off the, the amount of practices they were having. And he said that this team needs to practice to play the way they were the first half of the season. So, so we'll get into that on the other side about the fatigue factor, about taking the foot off the, the practice schedule, so to speak. And we'll get your thoughts as well. Plus, uh, we'll also look at uh, what Jeremy Carlton uh, has to do with, you know, some of the tweaks he made and, and putting Alex DeBrinkett and Kirby Doc together on the PK and how that has paid off. Give us a call, 312-332-3776. It's the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000. The Hockey Show. Presented by Coors Light. Pat Boyle and Brian Hanley host Chicago's only show dedicated to hockey fans. Listen on the new ESPN Chicago app from anywhere. The Hockey Show. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000. Now Kane with 20. The center is out. They score! Alex Dabrinkit set up by Patrick Kane. They've had a couple of great looks tonight. That one they can. We're tied. The Hall of Famer Pat Foley and Patrick Sharp on the call. NBC Sports Chicago the other night. Those two will be behind the mics this evening as well as the Hawks tee it up with the Florida Panthers. That was Dabrinkit, his 24th goal of the season. 18 seconds to go, tying the game at three. They eventually lost it in overtime with Brian Hanley. I'm Pat Boyle. It's the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000, brought to you by Coors Light. Break away from the nonstop chill. You talked about that fight. I think that's an example of what you saw right there. Uh, This team not giving up down the stretch, getting that equalizer with 18 seconds to go, Brian. Yeah, and one thing, Pat, uh, Pat Foley calling all games like playoff games, right? No matter if they are or not, it's still all, the, the enthusiasm he brings to the play. And it's also going to be great to see fans for the final two home games in the United Center. So at least they'll get a taste. The players, young guys will get a taste of what it's going to be like with, I guess, what, 4,000? They're allowed 5,000, but uh, the Hawks are going to only have yeah, 4,000. Yeah, they're, they're going with the 20% uh, of capacity, so we don't know the exact number. There's some friends and family, and you've got to factor in uh, those that are working uh, at the United Center. They count as part of the uh, the equation. So, uh, But, you know, I, I wish it would have been a, a couple of weeks ago when they were playing sure. that pivotal series against Nashville. So it, it'll be great to see them. It'll be great that this young team will get to see uh, the people that have been cheering for them at home in person and get to feel some of that love because they've been doing this in a vacuum, basically. And, uh, you know, every one of them has talked about the difference it has been like to play on the road in buildings that have had people in it. it. Everything is bigger. Goals are bigger. Hits are bigger. Comebacks and momentum shifts in game are bigger. So I'm 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 happy that they're going to get a taste of it. I just wished it would have happened earlier. Uh, Kirby Doc, you want to talk about the mindset of this team and 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 where they're at the final six games? Uh, here's Kirby Doc after that overtime loss uh, to Florida the other night. Uh, it sucks. Um, we're fighting for our lives right now, and to not get two points, uh, I guess it sucks. So um, we got to find a way to get two points. I mean, it's nice to get one point. And- Kind of claw back a little bit, but uh, we got to find a way to get, to get to almost uh, every night here to give ourselves a chance. You know, Kirby Doc came back in three months from that wrist injury, and you know, all of us were hoping the player 
that we saw in the bubble in Edmonton, who was dynamic, who was putting on a show, who looked like, you know, he had some of this like Connor McDavid like magic to his game, and he had elevated from the start of his rookie campaign. It's a lot to ask to think that he was going to pick up where he left off, especially with the wrist still hurting, no training camp. This guy's not had a training camp in his, now you would say, two seasons in the NHL, and they haven't even been full seasons. Um, he He's somebody that this team needs to be a star going forward. And I think, you know, I think he's been cautious. I think there's been a lot on his mind. I, I, I think to be inserted into a playoff run is a difficult thing to ask for a 20-year-old who, you know, was the third overall pick in, in the draft. It, uh, and I think, I, think it, I think it's weighing a little bit on him. And I, I, I hope he realizes that, like, this team is behind him. The city will will give him time to, you know, mature. But uh, you know, he he went through a traumatic experience breaking that wrist at the World Juniors. He comes back two months ahead of schedule, and it's a lot to ask to think that the, all the points are going to follow. Yeah, no, I mean, I, anyone, everyone should be in his corner because just the fact that he got himself back out there and wanted to be part of this is terrific and i mean i don't i don't criticize him at all for whatever lack of production or if he's playing tentative or you know if they're being conservative it's next year after a full off season hopefully a healthy off season and we know how hard he works on his game in, in the off season and his work ethic and his approach so i have no concerns and now with andrew shaw announcing his retirement during the week you know, we the Blackhawks are going to need people to to play in the dirty areas, to to camp out in front of the crease with blue paint. They're going to need even the, and more guys to chip in because whatever Andrew Shaw was going to give you, you know, on a second go round after the first concussion, well, now we know he's done, and, and and correct, you know, rightfully so that he's listening to doctors and and wants to do what's best for his family. But Doc's going to have to be part of that group that that you know gives you that the you know the the presence in the slot, and and I'm sure he's going to have the will, the willingness to do so. But hopefully next year the body's going to be able to allow him to do it. I talked about it in the first segment. Uh, Jeremy Colleton feels that, you know, I would say it was late March, middle of March, after they came back from that uh, road trip of six straight games, and they only won one of them. He, he was starting to see some fatigue with this team, and so. Right around uh, the first part of April, they they dialed back the number of practices they were doing. Now they were also, you know, that trade deadline was the second week in April, and they were adding players and subtracting. So you're taking practice time away, uh, you're changing personnel, so they're not getting a, a, a the amount of time that they normally would get to get assimilated into a new team. But he was doing this to keep his teams his team fresh. It was kind of a fine line to walk. Here's Colleton on that topic. We have backed off the practices a lot here in the second half, and just because of uh, trying to trying to keep guys fresh, I think that's hurt us uh, a lot. I don't know if there was another way to go as far as uh, you know. We felt like we needed more rest, but uh, I think uh, we this group needs practice as well. So uh, we're trying to get in as much as we can. Brian. He- 
Jeremy feels that that practice, that uh, high-tempo work ethic approach that he asks for in practice shows up in games, and that's what he saw the first half of the season. Didn't see it as much, and that, that was a question you asked at the top. Have you seen it lately? And I think the two go hand-in-hand hand a little bit. Uh, but that's something this team's going to have to figure out because when you look at their their success against the teams that are above them in the standings, that's where they struggled. Only one win against the Lightning. Only one win against the Panthers. Uh, two, uh, one against the Predators, two against the Panthers, and two against the Hurricanes. They've got six wins against the Wings and the Blue Jackets, two teams that are below them in the stands. So, you know, th- that's, that's an area they're going to need to pick, be, fix because if you look at those teams, those teams are bigger. They're built. And I'm going to ask that to Sharp, too. To, in this current NHL, is, does size matter? Does size matter? Is that why we're seeing the Hawks struggle against bigger teams? Is it because they lack some of that, that size to get to the front of the net, to be able to hold position when they're defending? Um, from your vantage point, do, do you feel like that's a factor? I think it's definitely a factor, and it'll be interesting to hear what Sharpie has to say. And if he agrees that it is, how do you go about fixing that? So, I mean, it's great that they extended Riley. Uh, you know, they, they did at the trade deadline bring in some bigger bodies, and uh, Bjorkstrom is, you know, supposedly putting on weight, and it's going to be a bigger player once he gets over here next year. So there's some help on the way, but is it enough? And is it enough to, you know, to finish games? Uh, we, we've talked about throughout this year on the Hockey Show that how many times they've been trailing in games, how long they've been trailing in games, the uphill slog, and how much it takes out of you. But even the other night, once you get that last-minute goal or that last-period goal, finishing the job, I mean, that, that's when skill comes in. And do they have enough skill? It's great to bring it and Kane. You know what you're going to get from them. Um, beyond that, I don't know if you have guys you can count on each and every night or you can expect X number of points each and every season. So our Twitter poll question right now up uh, on our ESPN Hockey Show page, assuming the Blackhawks fall short of the playoffs, this season was a success, encouraging, a tease, or disappointment. Encouraging is leading right now at 48%. Tease and disappointment are tied at 24%. Only 4% said successful. Uh, I told you about some of the tweaks that we've seen uh, as of late from this team. One of them is putting Alex DeBrinket and Kirby Doc together on the penalty kill. And, you know, those are obviously two offensive-minded guys. DeBrinket, of course, has a 200-foot game that uh, he's really enhanced over the last couple of years. Jeremy Carlton says he's the best player away from the puck on the team as far as winning battles and 50-50s. Um, so you put those two together with uh, some offensive upside on your penalty kill, and you're going to get some shorthanded opportunities like we saw the other night. I think they had three shorthanded opportunities. Here's Colleton on the the plan to put Cat and Doc together on the penalty kill. They've done they've done a really good job you know, throughout. Uh, they're getting used to it. There's still some reads and and uh, things that they got to sort out and so you know primarily the the goal is to keep the puck out of our net on the penalty kill but the fact they can generate chances going the other way they're going to break through and score but it's also it keeps the other the opposition honest and uh you know i, I like 
what that adds to our team. Special teams is an area that uh, you would say power play wise, the ranking was there pretty much most of the season. They've been a, a top 10 team for a long time. They were top three most of the season. It has come back down to earth as of late. And I think a lot of that, Brian, is playing the same teams over and over. They knowing your tendencies. I saw an adjustment from the opposition of how they attack the Blackhawks power play. And I think some of their lack of success is because of the the knowledge that the opposition has and the fact that they've played him so many times. Yeah, and, and you know, when you look at the the penalty penalty kill, I'm, I agree with you on the power play. It it goes from thirty six percent shocking the entire league and shocking us, quite frankly, down to twenty seven percent and somewhere in the middle, hopefully is the sweet spot because you can live with thirty, thirty two percent. The PK, I don't know that I've it's been a long time, if ever, that I've seen a team that is so streaky on penalty kills where you can look awful for a week and a half and then kill off 17, including majors, right? Right. Um, so I'm not sure what group that's going to be. Uh, it's good to see that Jeremy Colleton and his staff have been tinkering with it. And again, that they've had a multitask this entire season, right? And his heart of hearts, I don't know that Jeremy Colleton thought that they were going to be in the thick of the playoff conversation for as long as the team was. So now you're, you're chasing the carrot at the end of the stick. You're trying to get postseason, and you're also just doing what you would have done anyway in a rebuild if the team wasn't good enough to, to get a sniff of the postseason, right? So I think they've been doing a terrific job, and, and he's been very consistent in his approach, and um, you know it, it's good that he's kind of let the foot off the gas a little bit once the playoff possibly is pretty much you know flatlined here let's sneak joe from jefferson park in it's the hockey show on espn 1000 good morning joe how are you good morning fellas i just had an interesting question um you know with this uh pandemic and everything going on you think the hawks are going to be in the same division and are they going to keep the same format next year no i think they'll go back to uh their normal central division and uh I, i think you'll you'll see I think you might see a tweak in how these games are played on the road. I think they might take a little bit of this year where you play back-to-back games in a city and limit some of the traveling. But, you know, the the, the Hawks, they'll be uh, in the Central Division along with St. Louis, Colorado, Dallas, Nashville, Winnipeg, and Minnesota. And by the way, if you take a look at those teams this year, it's going to be one hell of a tough division. I mean, Minnesota's improved. Winnipeg has improved. We've seen Nashville. The, you know, the, the Hawks only have one win against them. Dallas, of course, is in the running for a final playoff spot here in the current Central. Then Colorado and St. Louis. Uh, so it's not going to be an easy task. You thought it was hard going up against Tampa, Florida, Carolina. You take a look at that Central division that they're going to go back into next year, Brian. That That's going to be tough sledding. Yeah, you mentioned it when Minnesota, we talked about Minnesota being on that streak and said, okay, you know, be careful for what you wish because they're coming right back in the division. And I know Stan Bowman told us that he told the powers that be when they asked what what he would do. And he was all for sticking around in the same city for an extra day, right? Or, yeah. or two games instead of one and instead of moving teams around. Obviously, you're going to go back to more traditional divisions. You're going to get... uh the you know a, a full smorgasbord of teams coming through the United Center and the Hawks are going to go to all the different outposts. 
You're not going to have the Canadian teams playing each other like they did this year. But that one aspect of it, I like that, that kind of two-game series, mini-series for each stop because I think it makes a lot of sense. Coming up, what should the mindset be of this Blackhawks team, the final six games? And where does Patrick Sharp have Alex Dabrinkit as far as his ceiling in the National Hockey League? We'll talk to the three-time Stanley Cup winner, Patrick Sharp, on the other side. It's the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000. You're listening to The Hockey Show. Pat Boyle and Brian Hanley host Chicago's only show dedicated to hockey fans. The Hockey Show. Presented by Coors Light. On Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. It's the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000, presented by Coors Light. Break away from the nonstop chill. Brian Hanley, Pat Boyle with you. It's our pleasure to welcome in three-time Stanley Cup champion and current NBC Sports analyst, Patrick Sharp. Welcome to the Hockey Show. Patrick, how are you doing this morning? Hey, guys. What's going on? Thanks for having me. You'll be behind the mic with Pat Foley tonight on NBC Sports Chicago as the Blackhawks and Panthers go at it again. 6.30 pregame show. Kirby Doc was adamant uh, the other night, Sharpie, that you know making the playoffs is still the focus for him and this team, despite trailing the Preds and the Stars you know, in, in the standings. What do you think the mindset of this young team should be here the final six games? Yeah, that's, that's a good way to... to to keep the mind focused on, on what's important, winning every game and, and really never really giving up hope that the playoffs are an option. When you look at the standings, it's uh, it's going to be a challenge for the Hawks to get in. I think we all know that. But whether they get in or not, uh, these final few games, uh, I think are important, for, especially for a guy like Kirby Doc, who I think it's just a positive that he's even out there playing at this point. I had him written off. The entire season being out with an injury and, and feel like it was going to be a lost year from Kirby and have a lot to work to do coming in next season. So it's good that he's out there playing, feeling the league a little bit, handling the puck. I thought he had a strong game on Thursday against Florida. Um, hang, hung on to the puck when he needed to, was in the right position defensively. Uh, starting to learn his routes a little bit in the National Hockey League. And if you go up and down the roster, guys, really of, of the Hawks, at every position there's players that really need to finish strong and take some confidence into the off season. Uh, it's a big year this off season for a lot of these guys to come back stronger and, and more confident, more settled mentally and, and ready to start uh, next year and have a good year. So I like what Kirby's saying. Hey, playoffs are still there. It's not official that the Hawks are done. So you keep fighting right till the end and you never know what happens. Sharpie, should Hawks fans be concerned at the drop off of the points for Dylan Strom? He's getting his chances. He's getting shots on goal. Actually, things have increased the last few weeks, but he was a healthy scratch for a couple games. And, um, you know, 13 points in 35 games, he said he's got to be much better. Is he a guy that you can count on toward the future, or is, is the jury out on him now? I don't think the jury's out by any means. Uh, I, I like Dylan Strom. I think he's got some offensive upside. And I've certainly been in a few stretches myself where you look at the numbers over a long period of time and you're like, wow, these, these numbers don't really add up. I felt like I was around the puck a lot more. I felt like I could have had a few more points in certain areas. And I feel like that's kind of how Dylan is, is thinking this season went for him. I uh, had an assist last game. He's back in the lineup. I assume he'd play here down the stretch, uh, the final six or seven games. And 
And it's important for him as well. Uh, he's a key player for this team as far as I'm concerned. He can play the center ice position, which is very important uh, each and every night in the National Hockey League. He can move on the wing. I really like him on the power play. Jeremy's got him back on that top unit with Kane, Dabrinkit, Kubalik, Duncan Keith, or whoever's going to play the point is out there. And I think that's where Dylan can really you know, pick up those points, making the plays down low in front of the net. Uh, he's got a good stick to deflect and tip pucks, but uh, I like what I hear from Dylan Strom in recent interviews. He knows that uh, he can be better. He's not giving up on himself by any means. He's going to work hard to do that. And I think the best is still yet to come for, for young Dylan Strom. Patrick Sharp is our guest on the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000. Patrick, Alex Dabrinkit's having an absolute fantastic season. He's got uh, uh, 46 points, 24 goals so far. Uh if there was an all-star game, like to me, Kane and Debrinkit would be the two that would represent this team. There are elite players, Patrick being one of them. Do you look at Debrinkit as in that next tier, kind of that, that all-star tier? Is that where you see Debrinkit? Yeah, I think Kat's an all-star. Um, I do for sure. And... I had some questions about Alex coming into the league, just like everybody did. Uh, his size it, uh, was going to be a factor. Um, I was wrong about that. He scored a bunch of goals his rookie season. I thought, oh, let's see what he does next year, and he answered those questions. Uh, huge season this year. Fills the net. Uh, was around it all night on Thursday. Could have had about three or four goals. Uh, and he's looking quicker, and he's looking more dangerous without the puck. And that's where everybody can calm down and, and be confident in the fact that Alex is going to be a great player for the Hawks for a number of years. Um, his shot, you can't teach that. He's a goal scorer. He can score a lot of different ways. I know he scores uh, on a lot of feeds from Patrick Kane, but this is the guy that's going to produce no matter who he's playing with. And the fact that when he is with Kaner, he seems to have a little more jump in his step. He works to get the puck back. He puts himself in positions to, to score goals. And it's not just putting it in the net. He can make the plays offensively. He's been scoring points his entire career, really, since he was a kid. So I'm confident in the fact that Alex is an all-star NHL player, and, and good for him. He's an awesome guy. I really enjoyed playing with him my final year in the National Hockey League. I spent a lot of time with Alex, kind of getting to know him on and off the ice, and I like everything about him. So I'm happy for his success. And for the Hawks, if they're going to have Kane and Dabrinkit playing together on the same line, that's, uh, that's a pretty dangerous offensive line. I'd love to be in the, in the middle of those two playing center. Speaking of size, do the Hawks have enough of it moving forward? And, and now that a guy who played well above his, uh, his actual height, uh, Andrew Shaw, retires, I mean, where does that, you know, who helps fill that role, doing all the dirty work that Shawzy always uh, kind of thrived in? Yeah, good question. And, uh, a good point about bringing up Andrew Shaw. You look at him, uh, when we first scooped up Andrew Shaw and added him to the lineup uh, years ago, all the players on the team were looking at each other like, who is this guy? What, what is he supposed to be? I mean, this guy's a hockey player? And he turns <laughs> out to be one of the most hard-nosed, <clears throat> genuine teammates, do-it-all-for-you-in-both-ends-of-the-ice type guy that, that we needed to help us put, over, put us over the edge. So, you know, size can often be... Uh, can over, be overlooked. I feel like the way the Hawks team plays, they're, they're showing willingness to get to the net and get to those difficult areas. Of course, we do have some size out there. Nikita Zadorov this season has been noticeable from, from my perspective. 
I love when he just lines guys up and takes a run at them, doesn't care who it is. On the other side, if it's a top player, if it's a fourth-line guy, he's going to finish checks. He's going to stand up for his teammates, and, and he kind of gives us an element on the back end. I never really liked being out there on the ice against those defensemen that, that you had to keep your head up against. And Nicholas Cronwall in Detroit is a guy that comes to mind for me playing against the Wings. You know, being on the ice against Rafalski or Lidstrom, that's certainly a, a difficult matchup, but it's a, it's a type of a style of play where they're going to take the puck off your stick. And when, when Cronwall comes on the ice, all of a sudden everybody's got their head on a swivel trying to figure out where this guy is. I feel like Zadorov gives us that, that element in some respects, and, and uh, he's definitely got some size on the back end. So, you know, it's, it's nice if everybody could be six foot four and move like the Brinkett. Um, but that's unfortunately, you don't see those players. They're few and far between. I like the way the team competes. Um, some of our most competitive guys will be labeled undersized. So I don't think it's that big of a deal. I just like more the competitive edge that the Hawks have shown this year. So I asked you this question to a degree on TV the other night. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to narrow it down for you here on the radio. The Hawks, they've had a ton of rookies make positive impressions with this team this year. If you could only pick one as the player you see being an integral part of, of a cup contender, who would, who would that be? Okay. Okay. You changed the question. I did. From I last did. Time. I see what you did there. Because <laughs> I gave you a few players that I was excited about yeah. the, with the younger guys. So I'm going to just say one, and that's Brandon Hagel. I think it's an easy pick. He stands out every night for the Hawks. Um, I wouldn't say he's a, a big guy by any means, but he certainly plays a, a big man's game. He uses quickness to get to the dirty areas. He's got good hands, a lot more offensive upside than I thought he was going to have. Uh, when I watched him play the first 15 or 20 games of the season, he can make all the plays offensively. Uh, and he's very consistent. He's, he's looked the same every night, Patty. You've done every game this year. You tell me. I mean, every time we watch Hagel, whether he's scoring goals or making a, a saucer pass like he did on Thursday, that's not really the issue. He's out there skating hard, killing penalties, making plays in the neutral zone. And, um, and those are the types of players that you win with. You get a bunch of Brandon Hagels on your team. Uh, sprinkle in a few superstar players like we have in Canyon to Brinkett, and all of a sudden you got a nice mix. So, so Hagel's a guy that I'm really excited about for the future. But I'm gonna I'm gonna give you another player because I know you just wanted one. But I, I got mm-hmm. my eyes on Wyatt Talon on the back end because I know he's only played a a few games this season and joined us uh, midway through it. But he looks very poised, and that's not really easy to do at the defense position. Uh, playing with dunks will help him. He's playing his offside which we saw you know, the great Nicholas Yarmelson do for a bunch of years, left-handed shot playing right defense. So you know, if, if, if Wyatt's the guy that can, can play that role, um, be smooth in the offensive zone, create a little bit uh, of offensive production, and, and still be poised in the D zone, I think he'd be another guy that I'd like to mention as a, as a bright spot as a rookie. And speaking of Duncan Keith, a couple months ago, I was worn out. We were talking about just the regimen he goes through to keep himself in shape to, to go at it each and every season and all the different, you know, stretching and all the stuff that goes in the, the diet and all that. Um, how many, how many more seasons do you think he has in, in him? Because he, you know, he doesn't seem to want to quit anytime soon. No, he's a freak, isn't he? Um, <laughs> yeah. We saw yesterday that Yarmir Yager was going to play some professional hockey at age 50 next year. So, Hey, Dunks has got his work cut out for him to get to 50, but I wouldn't put it past him. I don't think he's got any plans on, on retiring anytime soon. He, he looks forward to the offseason. He trains as hard as anybody that I've ever seen uh, that I've ever come across in my career. Uh, his fitness level is noticeable in the game. 
And I like how he's taken a different approach this year. You look at his defensive partner all season long, it's, it's a young player. It's, it's a guy that's kind of learning on the fly. <clears throat> and Dunks is in a position where if you're a younger player and you come to the Hawks, hey, that's Duncan Keith. That's a, that's a Hall of Fame defenseman. Norris Trophy winner. He's been there and done it all. So who better to learn from than a guy like Dunks who, who treats his body as, as good as you can and acts like a professional every day? Uh, he's had a nice season, I think, this year. Uh, he'll be back next year, and he's got a couple more years on his deal. So uh, I'm not ready to say goodbye to Dunks on the ice. I know he wants to keep playing, and would, I'd be shocked if he doesn't sign another contract after this one is up. I'll tell you what, you, you bring up a great point because, uh, like, Adam Boquist, down for the season with the broken wrist, but uh, they talked about his fitness level and it not being where they want it to be. And when you look at a guy like Duncan Keith, who in year 37 is able to finish a shift, a power play starts, and they put him back out there, or a penalty kill, and they have him out there, they're not worried about Duncan Keith's fitness level. Some of these younger players need to look to uh, the established veterans. And, and Patrick Kane said that when we talked to him about his uh, thousandth point, he said internal competition uh, was something that drove him. Stuff that you would do in practice, or if you would score a goal, or if Taves would, there was this internal competition. Did you, was that was that a real palpable thing as you guys had those cup winning years? Yeah, I would think so. Um, he always seemed to win those internal competitions. <laughs> he always had the most points. Uh, <laughs> yeah, as far as the fitness level stuff goes, it was, it was nice to hear Jeremy mentioned that about Boquist uh, after the injury. I think it's important for those defensemen, and Dunks leads by example. He'll be on the ice for 30, 40 seconds, tired in the D zone, and still always have that burst that can help the Hawks get out of their zone. That's a trademark of Duncan Keith. Forget the goals, forget the good timing on the hits, all the points that he's put up. I'll remember Dunks as a player being dead tired at the end of a shift and still having the burst of energy to, to look like you just hopped the boards and make a play. Uh, that's something that everybody on the Hawks can really take a page out of and, and, and strive to be, um, to be similar. Like, I guess, I, I mean, working out with dunks would be a challenge, but it would help everyone's career in that regard. And as far as the internal competition, I think that's what made our teams great. Going back to uh, you know 2009 to the 2015 years, those seven or, or eight years where we were playing a ton of hockey, we had all kinds of players that wanted to be great individually, and obviously the team came first. But when I would see Kaner put up a couple points and then get ahead of us in the scoring race, yeah, of course Johnny would would put his head down and want to want to fill the net. Marion Host is in the same boat. Everybody wants to be on the power play. Everybody wants to be the best. So you get enough guys that are ultra competitive. Uh, with the team focus in mind, and, and you're off to a, a good start. Great stuff, Patrick. Look forward to your call tonight with Pat Foley on NBC Sports Chicago. I'll talk to you soon. All right, guys. Nice talking to you. Talk soon. Thanks, Patrick. That is Patrick Sharp on the Hockey Show. One-timers and wrap things up on the other side. This is ESPN 1000. You're listening to The Hockey Show, presented by Coors Light. When you're at home, don't miss Chicago's only show dedicated to hockey fans. Tell your smart speaker to play ESPN 1000. One-timers. One-timer by Albertson. He's gone! On The Hockey Show. One-time shot. On ESPN 1000. One more time. 
One-timers on the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000, presented by Coors Light. Break away from the non-stop chill. What do you have for us in your one-timer, Brian? Let's hear it for the old guys. A tip of the visor to the Czechos- Czechoslovakian Chelly, Jarmer Jager. <laughs> Finishing his 33rd professional season, he's a uh, part owner of a team in Czechoslovakia that just won its, uh, its league and will be prom- be promoted to the top league next year. He'll soon to be 50 years old, and uh, Jager, who played 24 NHL seasons, still leads the league in game-winning goals with 135 and second in points. So the old guy says he's still, he can't score a goal anytime he wants to like the old days, but he's still working at it. It's incredible. He'll be 50 years of age, and he'll get all the ice time he wants because he owns the damn team. That's right. It's good to be boss. <laughs> it's good to be the main man. Uh, my one-timer is I, I, I want to make some money later on today at the, uh, the Derby. So I turn to people that actually know something about horse racing. Uh, as you take a look at the full field, where are you going to be sprinkling a little of that uh, couch change? Uh, give us well, he, a few horses that you're going to be. Uh, well, I heard Jimmy Miller on Jimmy, uh, Jimmy. giving giving a couple of big bombs. Uh, he he's given uh, hidden stash into the trifectas and superfectas, but he and I also like the, to win the the race. Rock your world, number fifteen. But it's one of those races with twenty horses. You might want to bet another horse across the board to win. And that would be Hot Rod Charlie for me, the nine horse. So if you can put the eight, the nine, uh, put Jimmy's 13 in there, and the 15, you got yourself the beginnings of a good trifecta box. And uh, probably have to throw – I'm not throwing – I'm throwing out the, the favorite, but I'm going to go known agenda, who a lot of people like but don't like him now because of the uh, the rail spot. But yeah, I think you you still have to put him in there or you'll be disappointed if he hits the board. So uh, my main horse is Hot Rod Charlie. And uh, my second horse is Rock Your World, number 15. Our buddy Eddie Olchek will be on the call with uh, NBC Sports later on today. I see Soup and a Sandwich, 30, there you go. 30 to you, 1. Remember the I mean, old Brian's uh, Soupy and, Campbell and Panarin, right? A great series uh, the Hawks put together for the Internet. So, yeah, why not? 30, 31 to 1, number 19. Well, enjoy your derby day, Brian. Uh, we will uh, see the Hawks play uh, their first of their final six of the regular season tonight. Pre-game show at 6.30. Blackhawks and Panthers on NBC Sports at 7 o'clock. That is going to do it for the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000. My thanks to Eric Ostrowski, our producer. Coming up next, it's the one and only Freddie Hubner. He's going to talk about that Bears draft and get you ready for the White Sox and Cubs action later on today. It's all coming up on ESPN 1000.